is time to start. Are you excited? 2018 is going to be a good year. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's going to be a good year. You say every year is supposed to be that way. Well, this year is going to be a good year. I, it's just the word, the word on the street. So word in the spirit. It's going to be a good year. So one of the things that has to happen as Christians, everybody believe that we're called to grow? One of you. I got one. That's it. That's all I got. I got one. That's good. No, I, I'm, we are called to grow. Jesus loves you too much to leave you the same. Jesus loves you too much to leave you as a child. Your, child, your children grow in your household, don't they? Some of them, they grow, or they're going to grow naturally, develop, and then other times there's going to require an investment on your part as far as teaching your children. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Except those teenagers. You know what I mean? If you got a teenager, I'm convinced that's... Adam, I think Adam was like 16 or 17 when he rebelled. So, I, you know, because that's like the model that you see with teenagers. I don't need you. I don't think you have anything good to say. So it's kind of like that. So, um, but our children sometimes need instruction. They're going to develop naturally. They're going to develop um, through just the common practice of growth. And it's the same thing with spirituality. We're going to develop naturally, spiritually, but there are other areas of our, of our development that are going to require us to be taught, to be, to be instructed, and to be developed. And so we do a thing here at Elevate called Radical Five. It is the foundation upon which we build our discipleship. What we want to do is we want to give Jesus what he wants. We believe if we give Jesus what he wants, he's going to pay for it and give us a tip. That's what we believe. It's not just the same for the church, it's the same for you. Our job is to honor the Lord and give him what he wants. And in return, his blessings flow and all of, this, all of good things happen. One of the things Jesus wants is he wants us to make disciples. Say with me. Jesus, Jesus wants, me wants me to become, to become an ever-developing ever disciple. A disciple is a learner under discipline. That's the root word of the word disciple is discipline. So it is a disciplined learner, not somebody who just learns, but actually does the things that they are, have learned. We understand that. We hear the word here, be doers of the word, not just hearers. That's the essence of discipleship. Discipleship itself has a minimum standard. God's kingdom in breaking into the life of the believer has a minimum standard. God's kingdom being built into the life of the Christian has a foundation. Your house is built on a foundation. Can we agree? If you don't understand anything about building construction, we all know houses have a foundation. And without the foundation, the house doesn't stand for very long. Can we agree with that? Okay. So we are built upon the rock, and the rock's just not the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I have instructed you. That, again, is the root of discipleship. What the foundation, the basic foundation of discipleship comes through what, what we have condensed down to radical five. It's not the end point, it's the beginning. Everything begins from these five points. And if, not, if you don't follow these five points, then nothing else is going to happen. Scripture plainly says, if you, want to can, if you cannot run with the footman, you cannot contend with the horses. A modern way of saying that, if you want to, rock, if you want to launch rockets to the moon, or you want to go to higher levels, you need, and you, you, you're not going to be able to do that if you don't understand basic math. If you can't do the basics, you're not going to get the higher things. It's just simple. And a lot of times Christians wonder why the things of God don't happen in their life. And a, a, a big portion of that is because we don't do the elementary things that are required for our faith. And how do, you know, how do I know that? Statistically, it's proven. Less than 5% of all born-again Christians have ever read their Bible one time from Genesis to Revelation. Less than 5%. That means 95% of all born-again believers don't even know the Word of God in a, in a summary fashion. Don't, couldn't even give you a cursory understanding of the Bible itself. Yet we wonder why the kingdom doesn't break in our life. Prayer. So found, foundations, the radical five foundations. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. Those are the five things. And if we are not actively doing those five things, the kingdom will not have a river flow in our life. It just won't. You're wishful thinking. Those are disciplines. Everybody say this with me. Discipline, Discipline. is the lowest form of discipleship. Church worships disciplines. Oh, the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. Ooh, the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are the lowest form of discipleship. Discipline means you make yourself. The highest level of discipleship is you follow because you want to. 
But discipline is there to make you do what you don't want to. That's why discipline is there. Obedience means when you don't want to. That's, the, that's what obedience means. Obedience doesn't mean when I agree. That's agreement. Obedience means I'm doing this even though I don't want to. Not my will, your will. Not because I think it's right, but because you say it is. That's, that's again, there's a core foundation of discipleship. So if we are Christians and we want something more than just being saved, and we want something more than just, you know, okay, I'm born again, I signed my insurance policy, now I'm going to have a life of living hell, and hopefully I'll make it into the kingdom. Most people are satisfied with the lowest common denominator of their faith. We are called so much higher. And I'll just share this, I'm completely not even in my notes yet. When God dealt with Israel and his displeasure with them was not related to their actions. God's displeasure in the Old Testament with his people had nothing to do with their actions. It had to do with their willingness to lower themselves beneath the position that he had established them at. Israel constantly lowered themselves and lowered themselves and lowered themselves beneath the standard that God had established them at. Can a leopard forget its spots? Yet my people forget their God. They abandon me, the fountain of living waters, and hew out for themselves cisterns that cannot hold water. You've lowered yourself to drinking out of dirty, muddy holes. You've left me. You don't want to follow what I say. You'd rather go dig a hole for yourself and drink the dirty water out of the ground and then wonder... Why? Israel's God's, God's displeasure with his people was because of the lowering of themselves. They chose the Most High God and worshipped lower beings, fallen angels, devils, which is the source of all idolatry. And so his displeasure with them was not because they're worshipping Astaroth or they're worshipping some other thing. Oh, God's so mad at them. He's like, how can you lower yourself? How can you diminish yourself beneath what I have given to you? And that's the issue. Yet the church is no different, really. We're so satisfied with such lower things. We've been called to sit at the king's table, yet we're like dogs scurrying around on the floor, searching for crumbs, hoping. You've been called to sit at the table. We're called and elevated to sons and daughters. Take your rightful place. Take your rightful place not just from an identity standpoint, but take your rightful place from an obedience standpoint. That's the essence of sons and daughters, is obedience. Jesus qualified sons and daughters through obedience. One said he would, one son said he wouldn't. The one that said he wouldn't did it. Which one was the son? The one that said he wouldn't and did it. Obedience is what qualifies sons and daughters. And so if, we want, if we, we, we want the position of sons and daughters, it's ours. But sons and daughters is manifest or made known to, through our lives, through our obedience to the things that God tells us to do. It's just that simple. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. You're either in the world or you're not. We can't stand between two opinions. There again is another issue with the, with the church. Uh, the, the prophet said, how long will you stagger between two opinions? How long will you remain divided on this issue? If God's God, then serve him. But if he's not, then go serve the gods of your forefathers. Christianity demands everything that we have. Christianity demands all that we, have, all that we got. It doesn't work any other way. The gospel's designed to work one way, all in. <laughs> you ever guys ever watch poker? They push it all, all the chips in, everything in. I'm risking it all, I'm going all in. That's how the kingdom is designed to work. It doesn't work 50-50. It doesn't work 70-30. It doesn't work 60-40. It only works all in. So th this is what I'm trying to tell you. And so read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. And I say all that to give probably the most controversial of all the five that we're going to talk about today, and that's financially giving. And I get some people in the room, and they know the power of God when it comes to giving, and they go, yes. Preach it, Pastor. And then I get other people who have this disagreement, and this is the very issue that gnaws on their heart. This is the very issue that they come up against, and oh, don't you dare talk about money. Don't you dare. God doesn't have a problem talking about money. I got news for you. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about love. <gasps> Read your Bible. It's all through there. Why would God avoid something that's so fundamental to our life? Why would he not be involved in an area that is so key to our existence? Why would he not be? So we're going to talk about it. And just so you know, everybody, I want you to grab the chair. And I want you to say, this may make me uncomfortable. But I'm ready for it, Jesus. Hit me. Right. Some of you are going to get excited. Some of you are going to get really uncomfortable. 
And you're going to go home and you're going to, I don't like what he said today. I don't know. I don't agree. I don't agree. I don't agree. That's fine. You don't have to give, you get to. Aren't you glad? He honors you by honoring you. He honors you by allowing you to give. He lets you give to him. The very fact that you can actually approach him and honor him with a gift, I mean, that in and of itself should make you go, wow, he actually lets me give something to him? Yes, he does. Jesus has an economic plan. The gospel has an economic plan for you and your kingdom. If there's economic dysfunction, you're probably operating in some way outside of his economic plan. Just a thought. Deuteronomy 8.18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant in the land. It's the Lord who has provided you with the job. It's the Lord who has provided you with the income. He's not just, excuse me, provided you with a job and provided you with an income. There is an innate ability beneath all of that that you have an, you have an ability, probably undiscovered for most of you, a power given to you by heaven to actually generate a higher level of increase. But most people settle for the nine to five. Most people. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's a problem with that. But I'm saying that there is an ability that's given to you not just to have a job and have provision. There's an ability beneath that level that you have an ability to generate wealth. You just don't even know what it is. Yes. It's there. Thank you. Yes. You have it. You have it. It's there. You have to ask the Lord, what's my ability to generate wealth? What is it? What is it? And he's going to start showing you. He's got some things that's issues that you don't know, so you're going to have to learn some things before he can reveal to you what it is that you actually possess. So that's a whole other message. But the reason that he has given this to you is to establish his covenant in the land. The whole reason he has given it to you is so that you would be a participant in what it is that he wants to do. So the ability to obtain wealth, it is a prosperity gospel, and I will not blink when I tell you that. Is the gospel a prosperity gospel? 100% yes. yes. But yes, but not for the reasons that we have previously defined. The prosperity gospel is not entirely about you. You are blessed to be a blessing. And we always say that on Mantra. I come from a charismatic prosperity gospel church, so I, I know this stuff really well. I know all the little things that we say. But the, God has blessed you in order that you would generously give and establish his kingdom. And in your generosity and in your giving, what ends up happening is he's created a supernatural motor that that provision would keep coming back to you. It would keep coming back. As the rain goes up, the rain comes down. As the seed goes into the ground, it comes up with a multiplied harvest. That's the system. That's the physical system that God has created, but that is also intimately related to a spiritual system. The giving is the sowing of the seed. The reaping of the harvest. This is what it means. This economic plan, say it with me, requires... My participation. It also requires my obedience. And my obedience is when I don't want to. Clean your room. I don't want to. Do it anyway. They obey you by doing what they don't want to do. We understand that with our children. Many of you are parents in the room. You know what I'm talking about. It's the same thing. We have this, we have this lame understanding is that, that Jesus is just going, well, what do you want to do today, honey? What do you feel like? Oh, that's okay. And that's how God relates to us. You have a false conception of who he is. You don't understand it. And he'll leave you that way. He still loves you. But you will not become who you're supposed to be. Your growth will be stunted. You'll sit in arrested development for the rest of your life. You'll be like Israel. You'll die in the wilderness going around a mountain. Wondering why you can't get into the promised land. Why do we keep walking around this mountain? I don't know. Seems like all we're doing is taking left turns here. Why, why is that? Well, they didn't do what he asked them to do. So there's, a, there's a disconnect. So in order to activate the things of God, it requires our participation. And what's really going to take for you is not just go, oh, I'm willing, Lord. You know, it's me, it's me, oh, Lord. All that I am to you, Jesus, it's not these little mantras. It's a hardcore discipline within yourself. It is a determined discipline that I am going to do what God told me to do. So help me, even if it kills me. Even if this kills me, I'm going to die believing God. Even if I do this, this is what he said, and I'm going to die on the mountain of his promise. I'm going to die on the hill of his promise. I'm going to die with my heart in the direction of the gospel. Not facing a mirror or facing a culture. I'm going to die facing the glory. 
Giving is not activated by human will, but by divine design. God has set up a system that is beyond your understanding. And this is why Christians, most Christians don't participate in the things of God, because we don't understand it. Well, I don't understand. Well, I don't understand. I mean, we worship, it's called idolatry of the mind. When you worship your understanding over the word of God, you're worshiping your intellect. It's intellectual idolatry. You're called to submit your intellect unto the kingdom. And things will be revealed to you in time. But so long as you keep elevating your intellect above what God says, you're idolizing your mind. And God will let you worship that idol until you die. Until you come to the point of understanding that you are, in, you are worshiping the mind. And most Christians never do. Well, I don't understand it. I understand it. And that, that plays itself out all through the church in so many ways. We're such a head case, man. Everything's from our head. Everything's from the rational understanding. There's no healing. Why is there no healing? Because I don't understand it. I just don't believe it. I just don't think it. Well, you're an idolater of the mind, bro. You're worshiping what you think, you know, rather than pressing into what he says. Shutting your mind off and going in and putting your mind in neutral doesn't mean you don't think, but you set it aside and say, I know nothing. I will not exalt myself against the knowledge of what he says. I will push into what he says, and I will see if what he says is true. I'm not just going to dip my toe in the water. I, I somebody say, oh, I tithed for two weeks. I didn't get a return. This doesn't work. I'm like, yeah, tithe for a year and tell me that. Give the full tithe for 12 months, and you tell me that it doesn't work. You'll be the first person in the history of the world. And I've had people, well, I tithe, Pastor. I'm like, yeah, let's, should we check the giving record right now? Should we? I mean, I don't check it, but should we? So don't make that boast if you're not. Ananias and Sapphira, oh, we've given it all to the Lord. Don't make the boast that you're a tither if you're not. Just acknowledge that you're not. So don't make the boast saying, oh, I've tithed and I've given the full tithe, and the Lord hasn't done anything. Well, I would match that up against your income, and let's see if that's true, because you will be the first person in the history of the universe that that ever happened. It doesn't happen. You do not do business with God and break even. Jesus will be debtor to no man. He's not going to owe you anything. He's going to take what you give, multiply it, and give it back to you. And he is certainly not going to be in your debt of service. I can assure you of that. And you do not invest in the kingdom and not get a return. If you think Uncle Sam gives you a return or the stock market gives you a return or whatever it is that you in real estate gives you a return, it's nothing like the kingdom of God. That's true. That's true. It's by divine will. Next slide, please. God wants to take you, you're going to say this with me, from survival... To success, to significance. Most people live at the level of survival. It's hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth. Hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth. That's where most people are. Those people more than likely are not tithers. Tithers are usually at the level of success. Success means you have enough for you and you have more. You're multiplied. There's a success element going. doesn't mean everything goes right, but for the most part, things do. And even when things go sideways, things start to navigate back onto the right course because that is the blessing of success. God promises survival. That's about it. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. The Christian has promised not just success, but significance to where your life matters and you're able to do something in the world to where the world actually knew you lived or you participated in something that was greater than your life. You're promised significance, but that isn't going to be handed to you. You're going to have to step into it. You're going to have to put yourself in a position to receive that. But most believers live at the, hand, live at the level of hand to mouth. And we make lame theological excuses. Well, Jesus was poor. It's not about money, Pastor. Church isn't a business. Like, it's not about money. If you are unfaithful and unrighteous, ma'am, and how can you be committed the true riches? I'm sorry, that sounds like money to me. You know, what is he talking about? Over and over again, it's, it's the same discussion. We don't have the true riches because we're unfaithful and unrighteous mammon. Mammon was the god of money in the, un, on the, old, in the old Testament. They worshiped a god called mammon. They bowed to this god. You come from deficiency. This is, we have a deficient mindset. We don't have the sufficient mindset of the kingdom. You're operating not according to the mind of Christ. Once again, that's an issue. God wants not to leave you at the level of survival. You should be celebrating that. Who does that? Nobody I know. He wants to take you from just getting by to succeeding, where your household is established, where before you didn't know how you were going to get through, you didn't know how you were going to take care of these kids, you didn't know how it was going to happen. Oh my gosh, I don't even know, I don't even know, I don't even know. 
to a level of success where there is an establishment, there is an order, there's some sort of stability in your life. It doesn't mean everything's perfect. To significance, to where you are literally an engine that is participating in the things of God. And things are going out of your life consistently. From this success comes significance. That's what he wants to do. According to your faith, so be it unto you. We give according to our faith. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where's your heart? Oh my, Jesus has my heart. Oh yeah? He measured it. There's everything's measurable. So Jesus would measure it. Well, according to your, wherever your treasure is, where your heart is, there's your treasure. Is your heart in your Escalade with the 22s or whatever? Is that where your heart is? Because that's where all your money is. No, no, my heart belongs to Jesus. That's what people say. Is your heart in the cell phone plan or the latest iPhone that you have? No, 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 my heart belongs to Jesus. Well, that's where your money goes. You sacrifice the glory of God for that. Just a question. We have to look at our own lives and we have to be brutal with ourselves or nothing changes. We have to like hide karate ourselves out of this stagnant place and begin to recognize who we are and begin to take our rightful place and begin to release the inheritance that is rightfully ours. And it will not happen if we don't do this. This won't. I've been in this game for a long time. The value that I have of following Jesus from my youth is that I have experience. And I have seen what is true and what is not. And I can tell you with good authority, this is truth. Jesus couldn't do a lot of miracles because they didn't believe. Christians got to understand, you're not of this world. You are not of this world. That's not something that's going to happen in the sweet by and by. That's in the rotten here and now. You are not of this world. You're an entirely different being. You are the arbiter of heaven and earth. You are the transcendent children of God in a broken world. In the world, not of it. You are part of a different system. The economic system of the kingdom is not the economic system of the world. What have you participated in the economic system of the kingdom and God gave you such wisdom, such revelation that you were able to overcome the system of the world itself? Or participate in an economic system that's already there at a, at a level that no one else could achieve. Because the blessing when, when you're a giver, the blessing of the tithe, the tithe releases the river of the kingdom, one of the rivers, a main river. And, one of those, and in that river is wisdom. In that river is revelation. In that river is opportunity. In that river is open doors. It's true. Yeah? You don't have opportunity, you don't have wisdom, you not only know what to do because you're not giving. What would happen if you gave and God began to open up doors of opportunity? The Bible says the blessings of the Lord will pursue you and overtake you. Is that a poem? That's a fact. You'll be standing in there and somebody's like, man, I'm looking for somebody. You know, I'm looking for this, somebody to, have, to help me with this job. I'm just looking and you're like, hey, that's me. Uh, you know, I'm in. Opportunity is going to come to you. It's, you're guaranteed. People look for a check in the mail. It's not necessarily a check in the mail. It may be an opportunity to go further. It may be an opportunity to change. I mean, there's tons of things that come off of that. He'll open doors for you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you insight. He'll give you understanding. He'll shift your surroundings. He'll multiply what you have. But as believers, we are part of a distant, different system and a different covenant entirely. We got to get that. We have to understand this, isn't, this is who I am. It's not something we do. It's a lifestyle. The gospel is a lifestyle. The kingdom is a lifestyle. It's what we do. My daughter was talking to a friend of hers recently, and she was talking to him about tithing, and the person about fell out of the chair. It's like 10% of your income? Like everything? And she's like, yeah. He don't get it. He's not a believer. They don't get it. It makes no sense even to you. Because he didn't, he didn't set it up for you to understand. He set it up for you to believe. He didn't set up healing for you to understand. He set it up for you. The laying on of hands transfers the glory that manifests healing? Yes. Well, I don't understand that. Well, get, does anybody under, really understand that? Can we give an equation of what that looks like? No, we don't understand that. The preaching of the, world, of the Word of God saves us or draws us unto Christ? Yes. The Word of God is spiritual DNA and is literally shifting the atmosphere in this room and transforming you on a very primary level as I speak it? Yes. Yes. Can we understand that? No. No, but we activate it. If you're waiting to understand, you're going to be waiting a long time. The world says, I'll believe it when I see it. The Bible says, believe it and then you'll see it. 
Completely different. It's flipped on its head. We're part of a different covenant, a different kingdom, and we have a different destiny. We're translated out of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. We're in a kingdom. We're under a rulership. We're under dominion. We need to follow the rulership and the dominion that we are under in order for the blessing. See, here's Jesus. Jesus frees you, and now He doesn't mandate that you do any of this. You do it by a free will offering because He doesn't want robots. So if you don't want to do the things that He asks you to, He doesn't force you. But what He does tell you to do is change your expectations. The Bible calls it double-mindedness. You don't have to, but don't expect the blessing that's attached to what He said. So in other words, if you don't read your Bible and you're not learning and growing in your Scripture, don't expect to clearly understand when the Spirit of God speaks. Don't don't expect to have clear wisdom as discerning right from wrong, left from right, up from down, if you don't do that. Well, I don't want to read my Bible. Well, you don't have to. That is not a requirement for your salvation. That's a requirement for your discipleship, but that's not a requirement for you to be saved. But you shouldn't expect to receive anything other than that. You shouldn't expect to receive the blessing that's attached to that. Just the thought. So we're not of this world. We're translated into a kingdom. We're redefined. The kingdom is activated through keys. It's the power of agreement, renewed mind, confession, direct action. Turning the key of this opens the key to financial blessing. It does. It releases the river. You want the river of God's voice? You need to learn His Spirit, and you need to learn His Word. Holy Spirit will talk to you, but He's only going to talk to you in limited terms until you learn His Word. When you learn His Word, the Holy Spirit speaks a language called Scripture. You understand that? So while the Holy Spirit will, t- will talk to you, you're going to find yourself in a very short amount of time limited as to what, how He's speaking to you. When you learn His Word, the dimension of His voice opens up entirely different. It's the same thing with prayer. We start praying, we start communing the dimension of prayer. If we'll practice it and exercise it, you'll see that the dimension of prayer itself begins to expand. It, whatever, whatever area you pick, it's, this is what happens. But we have to step into that. Next slide. Tithing is the river of blessing in the, in the house of God. Tithing is the river of blessing into the kingdom of God. And tithing, it's not just for the individual. It enables the church to do what it's supposed to do. Church can't do it without money. I got news for you. You know, And what ends up happening is Christians in the world alike, because it's a lie of the devil, they want to look at maybe 2% of all ministries that have this enormous success or have this enormous amount of resources, and they say, oh... We shouldn't give, but I would tell you that 98% of the churches, and I would probably tell you that I know maybe three pastors that are even in that position, and most of them can't even pay the bills, and most of them the church doesn't even succeed. I just had a lady yesterday tell me, the pastor that started the church like down here, and you know how many times I've heard this story? I've heard this story way too many times. He left. He's now teaching seminary. I said, oh, God called him to go and teach seminary. My wife and I in the car, we were like, yeah, you know what that means. He had to get a job to pay his bills. That's, that's what that means. God's plan to fund his church is through his people. That's his plan. So if his people don't participate, the church doesn't exist. If the church doesn't exist, then the welfare of the community, the welfare of the people, everything ceases. And you see that, if you want to look at that in the Old Testament, you can see that over and over. You see it in Habakkuk. You can see it in Malachi. You can see it in Nehemiah. The prophets showed up to correct the people because they were not fulfilling the duties that they were called to do. And the spirituality of the nation suffered and the spiritual welfare of the people suffered and the priests had to go plow fields in Nehemiah. The priests weren't even serving and living and doing the things that they were supposed to do because they couldn't afford to do it. They're plowing fields. Nehemiah walks up and goes, what in the world are you people doing? The house of God is neglected. You know, your house is painted and paneled and your car's new and the cell phone's happening. And there's not even a door on my house. What are you doing? Read it. That's in Habakkuk 2. Consider your ways. And what the people were saying, no, it's not time to give. It's not my time to give. That's what the people were saying in the book of Habakkuk. Or Haggai. He was in Haggai, Habakkuk, Haggai, one of the H's. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway. (laughs) Haggai. That's what they were saying. It is not time for us to build the Lord's house. It's time for me to buy that property. It's time for me to do this. It's time for me to do whatever. It's not time. The new iPhone 18,000 is out. I need to go buy that. It's not time to give. It's time for me to do that. And Nehemiah corrects them and says, don't you understand what you are supposed to be doing? Don't you understand? 
The big pushback with the believer, I'm going to tell you, here's the pushback. This is the pushback all the way around. I can't afford to give. 100% everybody's like, I can't afford to give. Well, you're going to see in a minute, you're going to need to look at your life. Okay, I'm going to tell you who I am so you understand who leads this church. I'm a zealot of the highest level. You can't get, I am zealous for the kingdom of God. I'm hungry for the things of God. And I will sacrifice everything I have to see his glory. I hold nothing back. I never have. Neither has my wife. We hold nothing back. I started giving to church, and this is what they told me, and I went all in. I said, if I have to eat ramen noodles and live in my car, I'm giving. I don't care what I have to give up personally, I'm giving. That was me. And so I sacrificed everything. There's nothing I wouldn't give up. I give up a cell phone plan. I give up my cable bill. Are you kidding me? I'll drive a used car. I drive used cars. You know? There's nothing I wouldn't do. I have a side job. I do stuff on the side sometimes because I need to make extra money to do the things that, just to support my family. And not just support my family, but do I have more to give? Because what I do, I can't, I can't make enough to give to the level that I want, but I want to give more. So I tell the Lord, if you'll bless me here, I'll give it. That's true. And an amazing thing begins to happen. The field begins to grow. The field that I said, I will dedicate this to you. All of a sudden, whoosh, it's growing. Lord's like, you're going to give that? Boom, I'm going to bless it. Tenth is a tithe. Tithe means a tenth. That's what it means, 10%. What is it, where does it go? It goes to the house that you were fed at. Big debate. Where do we give the tithe? I give my tithe to the homeless ministry. I give my tithe to my neighbor. That's an offering. That's not a tithe. Let's be clear. The Bible says tithes and offerings. Tithe goes to the storehouse where the food is fed. That's here. If you're part of this church or whatever church you were called, and this is again why I think Christians don't commit to churches because we want the excuse of never having to take ownership. Oh, I go to many churches. I talked to a lot of Christians yesterday. I go, yeah, you want a church? Where are you going to? Oh, I go to many churches. I had a lot of conversations yesterday with people. And I was getting, you know, and I was like, wow, this is the body of Christ. This is where we're at. Oh, I go to, I go to five or six churches. Yeah. Are you part of any? Do you give to any? Do you serve at any? Oh, no, no. I just go there and I just learn all of these beautiful things that each church has to offer. <laughs> I'm like, well, you probably won't like it at Elevate for very long because I'm going to call you to commit. I'm going to call you to connect. I'm going to call you to be who you're, who you're called to be. I'm going to summon you to your identity. That's what I'm going to do. For your benefit and God's glory. <laughs> Where does it go? It goes to the house so that you are fed from. That there may be food in the house that fed the lights may be on. That the things that God wants to do may happen. What does it do? It opens the windows of heaven and pours out blessing. We talk about open heavens. Huh? With big conversation in the church. Particularly among charismatic churches. Open heavens. There's one of the ways you open heaven. Right there. Heaven has windows and doors. And one of the ways you open up the window of heaven is by giving. There are windows in heaven that are not open to you because you will not tithe. Just a thought. <gasps> no. I don't believe that. Okay. As for me and my house, <laughs> I will serve him. I will believe him. And he said, from this window, I will pour blessing. So it opens windows to pour out blessing. What does the blessing look like? Everything. You'll rise when everybody's falling. You'll be sustained when nobody else is. When, you're be when everybody's being consumed, you'll go through it. It doesn't exempt you from hard times, Christian, but it guarantees and assures you of victory. You're assured. Assured. How many times I've gone to the Lord, Lord, I give. I, tie, I, call my, I call the Lord. The Bible says put me in remembrance of my word. I put him in remembrance of his word. People go, why? Does Jesus have a short memory? No. He likes to hear you tell him what he said. He loves that. I don't know why, but he is totally into it. He's like, yeah, I said that. Wow. Woo. Yeah, I did say that. I said that too. Come on, guys. Get around. Listen to my son down here telling me what I said. He loves it. I tell him, Lord, this is this. This is what you said. This is what you promised. And he'll minister back. And he goes, I know what I said, Kevin. It's coming. Just chill out. It's coming your way. Got it. And it'll come from unexpected sources every time. I love it. I will not sacrifice giving. I will not. And you're always going to be tempted to. So I'm going to just talk to you on a human level. You're going to be tempted to. Your flesh is going to gnaw you. Your flesh does not want you to give. Shoot that traitor. Shoot him. That is a traitor to the kingdom of God. That is the very person. That is your Judas that will betray you every time. 
People think it's an issue of comfort and feeling. It has nothing to do with that. Your flesh is going to betray you. Circumstances are going to betray you. The devil's going to create an environment around you and mock you. Yeah, you're a giver. Yeah, he promises blessing. Look at your environment. That's why you need to know truth is not reality. The devil fosters a lie and he puts a reality around it to make you believe the lie. You've got to understand that truth and that lies and reality are not truth. If you're going to, God said this, but this is where I'm experiencing and this is what's around me. So are you going to believe that or are you going to believe this? Just a just thought. Next slide. So I'm broke. My family's always been broke. This has been my environment the entire life. Well, your Bible says you can be blessed in all things. Beloved, I, believe, I desire that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That's the will of God. So if there's no prosperity and there's no health and there's no soul prospering, then, you're, then that is not God's will being manifest in your life. So somewhere in that world, there is a lie. Somewhere in that world is a lie that you're believing and you're accepting a reality that God has not declared over you. Here's theology corner. I don't know why I put through this in here. The cross is the determining factor between the Old and the New Testament. We need to know that. So what was true in the Old and what's translated into the New is determined through the cross of Jesus Christ. So what that looks like is some things from the Old Testament made it through the resurrection. Some things from the Old Testament stopped at the resurrection. Some things from the Old Testament went through the cross and were modified. Okay? Real easy way to understand the theology of the contrast between the old and the new. For instance, blood sacrifice stopped at the cross. There is no more. Blood sacrifice is ended. There is no more blood Sabbath. There is no more any of that. The Sabbath itself made it through the cross but was changed. It went from a designated day of Saturday to every day or any day. Literally is a better way of saying it. So we're not mandated to meet on Saturdays. The Bible tells us whatever day. You want to have church on Monday? Have church on Monday. You want to have church on Tuesday afternoon? Have church on Tuesday afternoon. Anytime. We do it Sunday because of tradition. But it's not mandated that the church assemble on Sundays. Sabbath made it through the cross but was altered. Worship made it through the cross unadulterated. The tabernacle of David. Worship in its freest form. Dance in your underwear if you want to. You know, get a tambourine. I mean, I don't know. It's just like worship made it through the cross and has been unaltered. There's no alteration given to worship. It made it through. The tithe made it through the cross, but it was altered. It went from a mandate to a willingness. In the Old Testament, they were mandated to give. You could not show up at the temple without, without the priest holding out his money bag going, I'll put it in there. Where's the offering? Oh, Bill, I, I, you had 60 bushels of corn that you harvested from your field. You need to bring in six. They would, they would ledger that because they were mandated to give. In the New Testament, tithing made it through the cross, but it's been changed from a mandate to a willingness. God loves a cheerful giver, you see. He's not mandated it upon you. He gives you the option. You want the blessing? Here it is. You don't? That's okay. I'm just telling you how it is. Jesus they said, Jesus never talked about the tithe. Jesus never talked about the tithe. No, oh, really? Have you read your Bible? Matthew 23. He's correcting the priests. He says, you tithe of everything. You give a tenth of everything you own. See, here's the problem. The priests in the Old Testament understand the financial and economic plan of God, so they followed it to the letter. But they didn't understand the social justice plan of God, so they neglected mercy. The church today is completely the opposite. We think it's just this mercy, never-ending feeding program that we're supposed to provide, but we don't understand the economic system. We're completely the opposite. We're rich in mercy and all of these wonderful, ooh, feel good, feel warm, don't offend anybody. We're rich in all those things, but we are very poor in the economic plan and system of God. It's true. Here Jesus is commending them for their tithes. He says, you should tithe, yes, but you should leave out the more important things. So here you have the tithe being commended in the New Testament. Plain as day. Here you have, and these people say, well, that's, that's a Jewish gospel written to a Jewish church. They would understand that. Okay, well, who's Corinthians? You can't get more Gentile than Corinthians. They were as Gentile as you could be. They were as non-Jew as you could get. Paul says, now concerning the collection for the Lord's people, 
This is what I tell you in all churches. On the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, each one of you should give a sum of money in keeping with their income. <gasps> That's proportional giving. Wow. Sounds like to me, doesn't it? I want you to give a proportion in, the, in keeping with the income that you have received. Saving it up so that when I come, there will not be any collections. What Paul was saying is you should do this out of honor and obedience, not out of a show and a demonstration. And the maturity of the church is demonstrated by its willingness, not by the manipulation that has to happen from the pastor. So we get up there and, oh, we just ring it out, man. Ring it out. I've been in churches and the offering alone is 22 minutes. How do I know? Because I know where the timer is. We don't have a timer. I turned around, I'm like, where's the timer? And I saw the countdown clock. 22 minutes. I'm like, Andy, 22 minutes to take up the offering? What's the message? 15? You know? And we got to ring it out. We should develop the people to a level of obedience that we don't have to ring it out. Yes. 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 Just a thought. We're to give. Set it aside before I come. Set it aside before you get, before you get there. You made 500 bucks this week, 50 bucks goes to the Lord. God's going to, I don't know about that, Pastor. I don't know. Well, okay. Tithing is proportionally quality of giving, so it doesn't matter what you give. If you make 50000 a week, or if you make 500 a week, or if you make $5 a week, 10% equalizes the level of giving from everybody. We all give per 10% regardless of how much we make. What happens is, is that the more money people make, the less they have, the less they want to give, the farther they fall behind in their proportional giving. How do I know this? I've met many guys like this. My famous story, got a guy, tells me, sits me down, his company was doing maybe 40000 a year. He tells me, I'm believing God that this is going to be a million-dollar business. He told me. Sitting me down, I'm having lunch. I said, you need to start giving. You need to not just give from you. You need to give from your company intentionally. You need to tithe from your company, and you need to tithe from you and believe God for what you just told me. Within about 18 months, he got a $750,000 contract for his business. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. The sadness of it is when I had lunch with him, he said, oh, the Lord told me not to give anymore. I'm not lying. I'm like, wow, I'm so awesome, man. God's blessed you. Here's some opportunities. These are some things. These are some kingdom opportunities for you to continue this. Oh, no, no. Lord told me I don't need to give anymore. Really? Is that what he told you? Well, who told you that? That's not what your Bible says. You give and you attach to it your faith. You give and you attach. You can give and you can just give out of obedience. But why not accelerate it by giving and attaching faith to it? I'm believing you for a better job, Lord. Another guy, same, another story was here. I've had many people who've never tithed. We teach tithing here, okay? We speak in tongues, we lay hands on the sick, and we teach tithing, okay? <laughs> I've had so many Christians say, I've never tithed in a church before, before I came here. And they all tell me the same stories. My one famous guy, is, he's, I don't know where he's at anymore, I think he moved away. But he came to me and he said, I started tithing last year, I took the tithing challenge, and he said he had to, he had to beg for a raise with this company. He said the year at the year's end, he said his boss brought him in and said, you are one of our most underpaid employees, we're going to give you a 15% raise effective immediately. Amen. I told him, I said, Jesus gave you back the 10% that you paid, and he gave you 5% on top of it. You don't do business with Jesus and break even. Now, whether it comes through a job promotion, a greater job opportunity, or some other means, God is going to bless it. He's going to bless it. Tithe belongs to him. It's one of the things that he says, the tithe is mine and it is holy. Leviticus. He said, this belongs to me and it is holy. Just like one day out of your week belongs to him, whether you want to give it to him or not, it belongs to him. The Sabbath is mine and it is holy. So pick a day, but one day belongs to him. It belongs to him. Just another thought. Next slide. It's, pr it's a prophetic number of testing. Ten is a prophetic number. Some of you want to get prophetic. What does ten mean? Ten is a prophetic number of testing. Ten lepers, ten virgins, testing. They were healed, testing. Who came back? One came back. Testing on gratitude and testing on preparedness. Ten virgins. Not all of them were prepared. Not all of them did what they knew, they knew the master required. So they were tested on their willingness to be prepared. Then we have 10, 10 lepers that were healed, and they were tested on their gratitude for what the Lord had granted them. Only one came back. So you think 10 is an insignificant number. It's the prophetic number of testing. It's a test. That's what it is. This is the test for the next 60 seconds. This station in the national broadcast system will keep conducting a test. Sad statistics. Only 18% of, of Christians actually give the full tithe. We have three categories with the house of God. We have takers who give nothing. We have tippers who give when and when they feel like it. 
And then we have tithers who give with those rightfully honoring to our God. We have to ask ourselves a brutal question, which one am I? And why am I that way? What lie do I believe? What lie am I believing that inhibits me from giving what is rightfully the Lord's? If you don't give, you're believing a lie. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I'll tell you that without full authority. There's a lie that you're believing. What lie do I believe that disables me from giving? Do I believe that God is not good? Do I believe that God is not sufficient? Do I believe that God will not provide? Oh, do I believe that I'm not worthy? You're going to confront the lie because you're, there, there, therein lies the lie. You're believing I'm not worthy of blessing. You're believing that God will not do what he said. And you're committing literally the sin of unbelief. Just a thought. And you're preventing it. Honor the Lord. So giving is honor with your income, with the first fruits, the first portion of what you have. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. There's a conditional promise. When my barn's going to be filled with money? When I begin to honor the Lord. When my vats overflow with new line? When I begin to honor the Lord. It's a promise with a condition. It's a promise with an activation principle attached. Give to the Lord what? The glory do his name. Oh, we honor the Lord. Bring an offering when we come before him. Are you honoring him? They could not show up in the Old Testament without an offering. They could not. God wanted them to give something of themselves. He wanted them to sacrifice the idols of their life and believe him for the life that he had promised. That's what he wanted. God doesn't need anything. You need to give. You need to offer, honor something. There's something that needs to come out of your life in order for more of him to come into it. And until you withhold, it won't. What greed does is greed is the greatest infection of the soul. Poverty mentalities have to be broken off of the church. Yes. It's, I'm telling you. Yes. We have to break the poverty mentality. And one of the ways we break the poverty mentality is through intentional generosity. Amen. Committing yourself unto the tithe and in being intentionally generous. I knew a guy, he was a tither, and he said, but Kevin, I still find myself greedy. I said, give something away every day. I said, carry a pocket of pens, bro. And I said, intentionally give something to someone every day and break that power of greed and our vice off of your life by intentional generosity. Just a thought. Obedience over time produces kingdom's results. What God provides, income, increase, opportunity, wisdom, and open doors and windows. Next slide. Here's the thing we got to do. We got to examine our reality. There's good debt, there's bad debt. I'm not going to get into that. You can figure that out for yourself. A real simple formula for your income is, looks like this. We got to get Lupe to do a financial seminar again. I'm putting all this on Lupe. God's calling you higher, Lupe. I'm telling you. Uh, Lupe, does a bit, Lupe does very good with income and helping people manage their budgets and create things. She's very good at that. And she's done things here to help people in the past. We got to get her to do it again. So a simple formula is 10, 10, 80. So 10% to Jesus, 10% to savings. Right? Roughly, if you want statistics of what you can afford, 35% of your income should go to housing. No more. That's why we find ourselves upside down. You know, give or take. I know Miami's an expensive market. 15% is a car and 30% for all other expenses. That's a real simple analysis of what you can and can't afford. What ends up happening is that we live beyond our means and where we sacrifice is we sacrifice as Christians in the honor of Christ and we sacrifice in the other area in the honor of savings. In the area of savings. This is end up what ends up being on the altar that uh, is sacrificed. But that's a very simple formula for you to work off of. Next slide. Here's my challenge to you. That you commit to the process. My challenge to you is there's something called the giving ladder. We operate off of it here. If you've never become a giver, become a first-time giver. Start giving. Give consistently. If that's where your faith is, then go with that. Somebody just ring the bell. There you go. See, I'm, get, I'm getting an amen. That's Jesus is saying, yeah, hear that ringing. Ring, ring. I'm almost done. I'm going to finish up right here. I know I'm a little long. The giving ladder. Be a first-time giver. If you've never been a first-time giver, become that consistent giver. Become a proportional giver. I can't give 10%. Can you give 1%, Christian? Can, can you start with one? Right? You, you have no excuse to give nothing. None. No, none excuse. You can't give Jesus one penny on $1. What's wrong with you? No, seriously, what's wrong with you? No, really. 1%, give, be your proportional giver, and as God increases you on the 1%, make a determination before heaven that I will give 10. This is what I need, Lord. Get me here, and I'll give you 10. Now make it wide. When you give me a million dollars, I'll start giving 10%. Are you dumb? Come on, really? I'm going to give you a high karate right now. <laughs> Wake up. 
No, do a realistic budget and set it before the Lord and say, this is what I need, and if you'll bring me here, I'll honor you with this. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to bring you there. And the, That's right. Just like the guy that wanted a million-dollar contract. Did he get a million dollars? No, he got one contract that was three-quarters of it. And then greed started consuming him, and he said, I don't need to give anymore. Just a thought. God's going to get you there. Become an obedient giver. A tither is an obedient giver. So we have proportional givers which give by percentage, and then obedience. If you're a tither, you're merely at the level of obedience. You are truly a disciple. You're standing in discipleship. Because the ultimate goal is extravagant giving. Giving above and beyond the tithe. Yes. Above and beyond the tithe. Yes. So where you're tithing, and then when there's opportunity, you give above and beyond it. This amazing thing starts happening. It becomes this surreal world. I, I mean, I, this is what I press my life into. It's not just obedience, but extravagance. And pushing it as far as I can. That's what I do. Give the full tithe. Here's my challenge. My challenge to you is to grab the chair and to tell you to give the full tithe for one year and make a note to see if this doesn't change. Do it. Sit down, look at your income and say, I'm going to give this for 12 months. I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to give it. I'm going to bite the bullet. Get yourself a little stick. You see, when you've got to go to the offering box, you've got to put a stick in your mouth to just bite that stick. And you've got to do it. <laughs> do it. Automated giving, giving machines, envelope, set it aside, do it first, and measure the results and see if God will not bless you. Prove him. Prove him. Let me bless you. I'm over time. Did you get anything out of this? Yes. yes. I dare you to be who you are. I dare you to become who you were called to be. So let me bless you. Father, we just thank you for it. Your word is true. Your heart is good. I honor these people who've come to hear and receive the honor of your word. And so I release these things unto their lives, God. I release the blessing that is attached to them into their lives. And I release the summoning call of your spirit into their own hearts to confront their prejudices, to confront their lies, to confront the things that inhibit them, God, from the higher things that you have for them. And so, God, we just tear down those vain imaginations. We take into captivity and destroy every thought that exalts itself against what you say. And we just release your truth. We release your spirit. We release your fortitude and your commitment. And we bless you for it. And may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. We bless you. Have a great week.